0: Welcome to Season 4 of Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where we discuss important matters affecting the rural sector. Aspiring to unlock the potential of the rural economy, the Country Land and Business Association is the membership organisation that provides support and expert advice to landowners and rural business across England and Wales. Welcome to Rural Business Uncovered. Today, we're talking about the all-important health and safety. Farmers and landowners are becoming increasingly aware of the need to pay attention to health and safety practices and processes in their business. Today, we're joined by Libby Bateman, CLA Rural Advisor in the North and Oliver Dale, Managing Director of Safety Revolution, who will talk us through the key health and safety factors rural businesses should consider. A huge welcome to you both, it's great to have you with us here today, but let's get some introductions first. Oliver, your work at Safety Revolution is all about providing you know, a comprehensive system that delivers robust health and safety management. Tell us more about that.
1: I guess the first thing I should say is I'm a farmer's son uh, from St Ives in Cambridgeshire and I I was farming sort of uh, through my 20s and then came to do this about 20 years ago, qualified as a safety practitioner, so specialising in farms and estates and that's all I do. Agriculture has unfortunately the worst track record in the UK statistically and that's not, that's despite the best efforts of farmers I would say. So what we try to do as a business is deliver a management system, we don't do what I call hit and run auditing, where we come in for a day and create a list of things that are wrong and then disappear. Uh, we tend to work with people over a period of time to try and embed things. So it becomes a team activity and people uh, hopefully are less scared of safety as a subject and more inclined to engage with it and make it happen. So we're very much about a relationship based approach in the same way that you would have an agronomist or a nutritionist with livestock trying to help on a daily basis. And being a reference point if somebody wants to ring up or email in for an answer.
0: And I guess with that comes embedding the, the way of thinking, you know, putting health and safety up there as a priority um, and having a high level of importance. Thank you, Oliver. Uh, Libby, you have extensive knowledge of the rural North. What about your role at CLA? Hi,
2: Lizzie. Um, I work as a rural advisor in the, nor- in the CLA North team. So um, we take lots of calls from members who might want to do something different or may realise that actually they probably aren't doing enough on health and safety. So uh, sometimes people People might say well i want to change my business model you know what what are the implications on that or i might want to open my farm up for um a book. Bu- for the public to come and visit for educational visits and things like that. So, um, they're the kind of calls w- we get in and then we can help signpost people to, uh, you know, places where they can get more information. So it might be websites, um, the leaf open farm, Sunday, websites got some really great stuff on it. Um, the health and safety executive, and also, you know, signposts to people like Oliver and safety revolution, who can do a much more in depth and a much more sustained package to help people make sure they're getting it right with health and safety. In their businesses.
0: I'd like to talk more about that. Um, starting with obviously, you know, rural businesses involve using large machinery for long hours. Uh, it's all about keeping everybody safe, but it's, it's not just about the employees, it's the members of the public. You know, you may have uh, suppliers on site or customers, but can, can we talk about, and you, you spoke about this, Oliver, why is it so important to have health and safety in the workplace? And, and why do people need to be prioritising that?
1: Generally, there are three things to consider. One is the, the moral obligation, uh, which I think most people in, in the rural community feel very strongly anyway. They, they want to keep their people safe. Uh, often it's just that they don't know where to start or how to do it. So number one is the moral uh, thing, which I think burns quite strongly with people. Uh, number two is you've got a legal responsibility, as defined in the um, Health and Safety at Work Act, it's an obligation that's placed upon an employer or a duty holder if they are running a farm or estate environment for, for both themselves, their staff and, and third parties like contractors and visitors. And then, of course, there's the financial imperative, uh, which is that if you don't manage safety well, then you're subject to a range of, of fairly punitive costs, uh, both direct and indirect, including you know fines, insurance premiums. And uh, of course, the HSE can now charge for their time. So they do make a point of making it quite uh, expensive if you if you do get it wrong or if they perceive you as somebody that's not making a genuine commitment and, and can evidence that.
0: And what sort of notices do employers need to display around the workplace?
1: That's a good question. I mean, there are certain requirements. Uh, for example, any employer should have a health and safety poster up, which is a standard poster that the HSE provide. And that tells um, everybody who's interested certain basic information, including you know who you go to in the event of a problem with, with safety on that site. You are duty bound to post a copy of your insurance certificates. Um, that is a legal requirement. And then, as Libby and I were chatting the other day, you know there there are other things such as you know fire notices that one would be required to have. But it's important to um, to make the point I think that um, the signage that will be applicable to any given yard or estate or farm environment. Uh, would normally be determined through a risk assessment process so you know one uh, can only generalize so far those that i've just noted to you would be would be key requirements Uh, but essentially the order of play is you know whether you do that yourself as the owner or whether you employ somebody else to do it you should conduct a thorough risk assessment and that should then include Telling you where you need to put things like signs,
0: Libby. I'd like to expand on on those risk assessments. You know, as Oliver's just said, and, and by UK law, businesses have a statutory duty to conduct a thorough assessment of risk. But what is the best way for risk assessments to be presented?
2: Just heading back a little bit to what Oliver said uh, said about the signage. There are those two statutory signs that are really, really important. So by law, you have to do you have to display them if you've got um, got employees. Um, in the workplace, um, and we ha- you have to be. Um, I think Oliver touched on it as well a little bit about how you can define between who's an employee and who's a subcontractor on 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 the site, and there are different different rules and regulations within that. But in terms of risk assessment, um, there are there are some some statutory regulations. There is that if you've got five or more employees, you have to write down your risk assessments. Um, you know, if there's fewer, it's still best practice, and we all do risk assessments all day. Every day, in in our mind and in our heads, we think, "Oh God, there's a hazard there. How am I going to react to to that hazard?" So, but but documenting it and, and more importantly sharing it. With everybody within the business is 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 really really key. So that might be uh, a briefing for visitors when they come on site. That's that will that will be all come forward as part of your your risk assessment. If it's a case that it's a, a you know a member of staff and they need specific equipment, whether it be PPE, um, you know, a protective personal protective equipment for staff, contractors, visitors. Again, you know, you need to if it's cite, cited in your risk assessment as a mitigation, then you, you do need to make sure that you. Provide and that it's, you know, it's in, it's in good working order. Is this specific equipment staff need to use to work more safely? You know, is it maintained? How is it maintained? Is there a record of how that's been maintained? So it is a, a really, really huge, huge area. And as Oliver will see in his professional capacity. Um there are there are very big um risk assessments, you know, that are very professional, very corporate. And then there'll be also sort of smaller businesses that just, just really have a have a side of A4. There are resources online on the HSE website with templates of how people can make a stab at this. And there is no sort of standard format but the most important thing is that you do it and and that you write it down as oliver said before there's there's two sets of law really there's civil law and there's criminal law and when it comes to the point of civil laws was it foreseen that this accident happened and your risk assessment is actually going to be your key document to say well we, we we assess this risk and we put this mitigation in place um so uh yeah it's it's really, really, it's a huge, huge area. Um, and uh, I'm sure all of us use incredibly vastly different types of assessment all the time.
1: I think some very important points there you flag, Libby. The first is um, from my experience of the five, the key number of five employees at the trigger point at which you're required to document processes and procedures and policy. Um, it's important to flag that um, the HSE calculate that five, uh, that number of five, based on partners, directors, full-time, part-time, and casual staff. So you can have a business, say, that ticks over with one or two partners, but then in the summer goes up to two or three casuals or part-timers, or has somebody in the garden, for example, they put through the books. That's that's a key key factor. And so if you get to that magic number of five, um, it's really important that you you do document those processes and that you you don't sort of um, trade around the five. If you think you're at five, it's really important that you document. The second point I'd make, if I may, is that, uh, again, on the self-employed, as you rightly pointed out, Libby, there are variations. It's really important to make a distinction between, say, a one-person business, like what may be called a one-man band, historically, and a larger contractor. A larger contractor providing a service to you um, would be required to have their own policies and risk assessments, and you would be required to Make sure that they were adequate before they came and worked for you. But if you're employing a classically a self-employed person uh, as an individual, the best advice that anybody could give you is to treat them effectively like a full-time employee for the purposes of inducting them, making sure they're aware of of hazards and risks and control measures. Because ultimately, that's the way that um, they will be looked at if there's an issue. Again, similarly with PPE, there's been some recent changes to uh, to the rules on PPE. First and foremost, if you know, all PPE must be provided free of charge, that's always been the case for full-time staff. But it's now also the case that uh, for self-employed people, if they're coming onto your property and doing work for you, you're duty-bound to provide PPE uh, if it's required to do that job. On the record side of things, again, you've made a very good point, Libby. Um, Evidentially, and this frustrates a lot of people, but evidentially, if it's not written down, if you can't evidence it, then it didn't happen. Word of mouth doesn't cut, unfortunately. And that's uh, relevant whether you're in the the civil or criminal side of things, because um, there is an important distinction between civil and criminal, which is worth making, which is that the HSE enforce um, the Health and Safety at Work Act, which is the criminal law, where you have a statutory obligation, The civil side of it is where you may have a claim scenario from an injured party, whether that's a worker or a member of the public. And generally, your insurers will tend to focus on the civil claim because that's what results in them potentially paying out, quite understandably. But it's also really important to address the criminal aspects because, generally speaking, an injured party, say they've gone to a no-win, no-fee solicitor, for example, their cases strengthen dramatically if the HSE are prepared to take action on the criminal side of things so it's important to address both and of course the consequences of a criminal prosecution by the HSE are often you know far worse for the um, owner trustee director or partner yeah
2: I just want to to hit on the point about um volunteers because a lot of the time some some businesses may have volunteers in there especially if you're a land-based business um and and also this move towards things like care farming and educational visits in onto onto your business so um i just wanted to mention that the volunteers on your on your holding or uh, should be treated the same as staff as well so it, some people might just think oh well they're not staff, so they don't count they, they very much do if they're volunteering their time in in the functioning of your your business
1: so the key as you've said that the key difference there is usually with volunteers they're not getting paid the law makes no distinction the fact whether you're paying them or not paying them you have the same duty of care you as, as an employer who would be paying them uh, your duty bound if you're the owner occupier of that property or in control of it if you're deemed what's what's deemed a controlling mind you are required to make sure that you treat them in exactly the same way as a a fully paid employee.
0: It's really fascinating. I'm sure a lot of value in in what you've just discussed, especially for small businesses or for those that perhaps have volunteers or smaller teams. Thank you both. Uh, Yeah, the importance of implementing effective policy and procedures, mitigating risk. But... One of the things I wanted to ask was, what about weather-related risks? Perhaps higher up on the list at the minute, as we're you know going into a climate crisis, what does that look like, Libby? Hey, thanks for asking that, Lizzie. That's something that's on the mind of a lot of uh, CLA
2: members most most of the time. Um, obviously, I think that the, the weather-related re- risk needs to come in really, really early on in in your planning of, of what you're doing and thinking ahead. Farmers and landowners are constantly looking at the weather, and they, they know what they're doing and they know what's they know what's happening. Um, and their business is very much geared towards changes and and they're normally quite dramatic changes that can happen in in the weather however um you know if if you're doing something different different from business as usual that's where you know you need to think way 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 ahead of of of, so if you're getting different people into your organization whether you decide you're going to start running weddings or or something like that on your farm or whether you're going to open a a, a glamping site or stuff like that you you, that's the weather's got to come in very very early and then thread all the way through to the day before when you're going right do we need to implement our mitigation strategy that we put in if it was snowing um, or if it was if it starts to rain or if it's too hot we've had that this summer summer as well so so that whole street we're not very good at the too hot thing in the in England and and Wales really um, so we need to we need to look in a little bit further detail but it's when you're changing from business as usual to doing something new and something different that that weather feature needs to come in right from from the start and it's always the weather that causes the problems people can't get there so that that messes your day up people you know you can't park in the field where you thought everybody was going to park because it's absolutely waterlogged or the other great one is um that uh, nobody can get off the field once they've parked there and then you you technically into quite a difficult risk factor if you're starting to get other people towing other people's cars around when there's pedestrians and things like that, I mean, um, yeah, you need to think about the weather really, really early on and monitor it and um, implement whatever strategy it throws at you Um the day before hopefully you'll know what the weather's going to be the day before.
0: Does that also apply to office staff um, in terms of you know thinking of risks and safety and, and ensuring they're safe from harm Oliver?
1: I would say personally officers need to make sure that there's uh, that there's the right risk assessments for office staff. Generally in a rural environment office staff are probably at the lowest risk compared with those who are out and about in the field or around areas of the state. For me the weather side of it is predominantly as you say looking forward is more like, it's, it's likely to be a Heat related, we've seen a lot of issues with heat stress over the last couple of months. And again, if people are out in the field, whether they're fruit picking or gardening uh, or out on the moors beating for 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 estates for shoots, you know, heat stress at these sort of temperatures is a killer. And uh, again, you know, the risk of being sort of a health and safety bore. The the fundamental requirement is to identify risk, but also to prioritise it. So part of the duty is to make sure that you're dealing with the highest risks, that you've identified those and you're dealing with them in the right order of play. So office staff are important, obviously, and there are considerations around, you know, display screen equipment, ergonomics, and also moving about and making sure that you you stay healthy in an office environment. But again, for me, balancing in an estate environment would be focused primarily on your physical risks out and about because they're the ones statistically that are unfortunately hurting people
0: you mentioned there Libby as well perhaps kind of new territory when it comes to weddings or glamping and things like that so what advice would you give to CLA members wishing to host something like an open day on their farm
2: we do get calls like this and uh, quite quite regularly as well because so for instance they may choose to do an open day and 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 to, as a sort of suck it and see you know let's let's open up for the day get get some visitors down to the farm see how it goes um, and from there they might actually build an entire di- business case from, from 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 what they've done so it might be that they don't want to put a huge amounts of investment into engaging a professional health and safety consultant Consultant. So um in this situation I do tend to signpost members towards the website called open farm sunday which is run by leaf that is designed for one specific sunday each year but the resources on there are applicable to any day of the year Um, and it helps people you know think about the risks that might be happening on on the farm as they bring people down for a visit a lot of things like hand sanitation stations and stuff like that with the countryside stewardship uh, scheme now offering uh, interventions for Educational visits. I think they can they can do up to twenty five educational visits per year. It's something that's going to be increase. Uh, more and more people are going to be looking to get visitors down. There are other organisations such as the Country Trust who will um, do a lot of that side on behalf of the far- farmers and landowners. So um, it's not a case of you're on your own. And here's the website. There are people who will come out uh, and do that. But once it comes to scaling up and doing something on a more permanent basis, that's when and, you know they're going to need to be talking to people like like Oliver and, and other health and safety you know professionals around the country
0: The Country Land and Business Association has been safeguarding the interests of landowners and rural businesses since 1907. Through membership, you gain influence with government policymakers, exclusive and highly valuable knowledge on rural issues, unlimited access to tailored advice on all aspects of land ownership from experts, contact with specialist rural services and suppliers, and support from providers who understand your needs on insurance, healthcare, and energy. Obviously, a lot of risk to mitigate. Some are unforeseen risks, um, things that may just happen as and when. But I guess that is the role of all this. How do we make sure that staff and customers feel safe in the workplace as well as you know the, the risk being mitigated there I'll start with you Libby. Thank, thank you Lizzie I, this is really really key especially there's been a lot of talk about sort of
2: mental health awareness nowadays as well um, and stress related um, problems with within the workplace um, I think I touched on it Earlier on, people feel safe if they feel communicated with. So, as people, as risk assessments are done within the business, are you communicating them? Are you reviewing them? And 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 are people hearing your concerns? But also for, for staff members, do they know who the responsible person is within that business who's responsible for health and safety? So, if they've got something they want to flag or they're concerned about, um, they they can do that. And do they do they see that it it becomes it becomes actioned? Um, and and I think. That's that's really important. People, um, Oliver will probably touch on this as well, is that s- staff do have a duty um, to their colleagues un- under health and safety rules as well. So they, they've got a duty to make sure that they're following the rules that are in place. Um, and things like near misses if there's a near miss is is that reported is it communicated? are the lessons learned you know if training's needed, is it easy to provide it through the workplace and and as for customers when they arrive, you know is it clearly signposted um their roles and responsibilities when they when they arrive is there a briefing if it's an activity business or something like that is there, and and that will help people feel. Um, a lot safer um, and a lot more confident to to in, to enjoy their day if they're, you know, if they're visitors to your business.
0: Yeah, I mean, we hear more and more how mental health is impacting personal and working lives of employers. Oliver, how can that be better managed uh, by employers?
1: I would say that um, it's a it's question of making sure that people feel able to reach out when they need to, um, because that's the key determinant with um, with with mental health. I would say in the workplace, there's still unfortunately a stigma attached to you know men- mental ill health. It's regarded in many places, or by some, as a weakness, and therefore historically, particularly in rural environments where you've got long service and cultures are very deeply embedded, there can be a resistance to addressing it. So, really important to make people understand that it's not um, it's not something that um, is considered a weakness. That is something that the business would want to support people with. And I think that generally, if you can create that culture and that, those behaviours, it becomes a positive cycle. If people see that a person is getting supported, they feel more able to open up themselves. Um, and that cuts back into your point about, you know, how do you how do you make uh, both staff and visitors feel um, safe? Generally speaking, you know, visitors like to go to places where they think. You know, it's a good business with a great culture and it looks after their people. so you know it all connects up, it all comes around together. Uh, it's probably important to stress with with staff going back to your just earlier point there both for mental and physical wellbeing. Um, it's about you know empowerment and making people feel that safety is something that everybody is responsible for managing as Libby said. you do have a duty as, as an employee. But also it's the pull push thing if people feel they want to do it because they can see the real benefits and that they're protecting themselves and their co workers and the management support that and they provide training instruction and supervision as part of that, then you can move the subject on to being a very positive contributor to you know, the, the general fabric of a, of a of an estate business.
0: So what are the, the technical solutions to make the workplace safer?
1: Increasingly, uh, a number of good t- tech solutions, really. There is a strong demand, I would say, within um, estate and rights to move away from paper-based systems to more cloud-based uh, systems and app-based systems. Um, and there are a number of those that are out there which work very effectively. You can do all of this stuff now without having to carry around a really heavy file or ask people to sit and wade through paper for hours. So, uh, for example, one app that's very good for this is the Merit Ag Check app that's uh, readily available in the um, Apple Store and on Android. I think you can download it. There's a free version and a paying version. Uh, There's about, uh, I believe, several thousand people on that, and that has good coverage. Uh, We ourselves have. app-based software, safety management software, which starts you know at a relatively low cost. You don't have to be a big business. You can be very small to have a go at it. And of course, that can then be supported by um, consultancy advice, whether that's coming from, as Libby says, us or other professionals in the industry. But the key thing is to make sure that um, you're getting the basics right and that what you do do is recorded, whether that's on an app or on paper. The benefit of the apps, of course, are that they are much quicker. Uh, much more efficient for to be, to be run on the ground, but also if, if they've got to be administered in the office, um, they're much more efficient in terms of time and also evidence. And that's, you know, it's important to come back to that point that, you know, obviously job number one is to keep everyone safe. But if you do then have an incident and you need to be able to prove what you've done, you've got to have the, uh, the evidence to do that. And the quality of your evidence is directly linked to how easily you'll be able to manage that um, inquiry and that investigation.
2: Libby? On that, Lizzie, there is lots of new opportunities out there and I think there's probably quite a lot of untapped ones as well. What Oliver's covered off there is a lot about information sharing and, and, you know... software that will will enable that to to happen and as i said there there is quite a lot out there Lone working is 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 an issue for for a lot of rural businesses you know somebody's out in the field on their own and they're 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 working alone and it's how that they you know they might have a loan working policy within their business so it might just be a conversation between husband and wife at the at, at the farm table where are you going today you know what time are you going to be back there might be an opportunity to to track individuals or machinery you've got air tags things like that if they've got work phones you can do find my iphone or uh, on my Android, whatever they do on Android. So, uh, you know, th- th- this kind of technology is really helpful to know that somebody is safe and secure and is not, you know, not stationary in the wrong place for too, for too long. So therefore they've maybe had had a bit of a problem. We do tend to work in areas of very low um, connectivity. So, you know, GPS devices and GPS, you know, trackers are useful on, on machinery, on quad bikes, so that, uh, that we, know where, we know where our colleagues are if they're out and about um all over the place and whatsapp groups uh, are great to you know if you've got a team that's dispersed um and you can say i'm going to be a bit later here so everybody knows you pop pop it up on, on onto the whatsapp groups it's stuff we use All day, all day, every day, but it's it's actually just just transferring it into the context of how is this going to help me with health and safety within my business.
0: Yeah, you've covered a lot in terms of uh, kind of the benefits, morally, you know, legally, financially. Obligation. There's obligations to ensure that you are considering health and safety. But what would you say are are the main benefits? uh of managing and investing in safety for someone listening to this podcast we'll start with you oliver
1: uh, i'd say number one is, is welfare if you look at it um, the the, the uh, all the research shows that you know where you do invest or where investment occurs it's just on a sustained basis there are less incidents and therefore less injuries to people that's number one uh, there's a legal obligation to do it and so you know if you do invest and you're proactive um in the eyes of the law, you're um, in a better place. And if you do have an incident, you're more likely to be treated kindly. Uh, And the third one I'd take is reduced cost. You know, uh, again, good safety practices are generally aligned with good management practices. So, you know, good maintenance of machinery, organization, record keeping, management of livestock. If that's all done in conjunction with health and safety, you tend to find the on costs are lower. Uh, the time, input required is lower. Again, there's a lot of research around this. That it's much more time efficient and therefore cost efficient, and then you do get direct cost benefits. In most most um, commonly cited examples, is insurance costs. So increasingly insurers are looking at uh, where good practices are occurring and where it's being evidenced through apps or other mechanisms where they can be proved. Uh, you know, insurance premiums are significantly lower.
0: Libby, same question to you.
2: Thank you, Lizzie. Um, I think Oliver 's covered it off quite quite well there. I mean ultimately, health and safety is about you know keeping people um, alive in there in your business and you know keeping them from serious injury that's going to impact on on the rest of your life so you know is how much is it a human life worth is's got to be the question there, and is it worth investing to make sure that we can maintain that and we can keep people as safe as possible from 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 either either you know losing their life or having sort of lifelong lifelong injuries, which um you know isn't isn't uh, it's not fun for anybody. It's not fun for the people who were running the business at the time. Um, you know I'm sure that anybody that's been faced with an, an awful situation like that will 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 just be filled with with nothing but regret. Um, I mean some things are unforeseen and accidents do happen, but I think Oliver will agree that that there is a lot of stuff that is forced scene specifically even even with working with livestock you know if you've got a you know livestock out in the field and there's a footpath going across that field if you've got that that one sheep that's squared up to a walker too many times or a a cow that's just been a a little bit overconfident you know you you need you need to move it you need to put it somewhere else where there isn't a footpath going through the field because all of a sudden if there's been one incident it it, it has been it's now foreseen so you need to you need to act really really sharp uh, and really quickly and it may be that you need to get professional help in to to make that work oliver
1: yeah i was just going to add to that i think you know again trying to join up the dots with people i've unfortunately been involved with a number of post-fatality situations and and the recurring theme with those people who had responsibilities is you know why couldn't i have done more why didn't i know more and uh the emotional consequences are is is the one area that people always underestimate the impact of so you know they're they're kind of braced for financial consequences from such an event but they're not braced for the the impact that it has on them and their team emotionally and when you link it back to the mental side of things you know that it's crushing frankly so you know staying positive and and having a positive culture and encouraging people to to talk about it and do it and record it is, is 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 you know, can be a very positive vibe and it doesn't have to be particularly onerous. I think that's the other point worth making is that, you know, people associate health and safety with ticking boxes and tons of paper and all of that stuff. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be light, it can be interesting uh, and it can be a very small part of your time but a key point, a part of that.
0: Really well put, Oliver. Uh, Thank you. And thank you, Libby, as well. It's really been fascinating talking to you both today, clearly outlining the importance of health and safety. I'm sure we'll be seeing more of your work moving forward. On behalf of the CLA, thank you for coming on the podcast. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, cla.org.uk. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon. you have been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode.